A lot of you listening love to have a love-hate relationship with Twitter, but 2021 was a big year for the social platform and its Canadian operation. Twitter Canada substantially scaled up at its Toronto office, with the app also rolling out an ambitious series of product updates ranging from newsletters to social audio, safety features, and a subscription tier. Not to mention that since we recorded this episode in November, co-founder Jack Dorsey stepped down as CEO. On this episode of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast, we talk to Twitter Canada tweeps, Connor Clarence, head of sports marketing, and Shay Thea Garaja, partnerships manager, on how these new features are being embraced, how Canadian media is leveraging Twitter for live events, and tips for getting that elusive little blue checkmark. I'm Shay, and sorry if I have a little bit of a lisp. I just got Invisalign last week, so I am working through the, the new normal for me. Um, it's Shay Theogaraja. I'm a partnerships manager here at Twitter Canada, and I essentially uh, support our all of our media partners across news, sports, and entertainment. And how I got here, essentially, this was actually my my first go in terms of partnerships and working with media organizations. But I've been in the role for just over a year. Uh, my background is mainly in marketing, so I've had a couple pit stops in marketing organizations, mainly in tech, from Yahoo, when Yahoo was still Yahoo. And then I I was on our Twitter Canada marketing team for about three years. So very Twitter focused in terms of that role. Um, And then I shifted over into this partnerships, which I love because it's bringing the magic of Twitter and bringing the magic of how you can market your brand and your publisher portfolio on Twitter to, uh, to your audience. I think she's probably selling herself short a little bit. She also basically leads our entertainment business. So anything to do with uh, the music side, the lifestyle side, the entertainment side, the movie side, et cetera, from a publisher relationship, that's that's Shay through and through. And then I guess I'm Connor Clarence. I lead our sports side of our business. So managing our relationships with athletes, leagues, teams, uh, but primarily broadcasters are, are sort of our, our, our big partners in Canada. So working with them, not only on how do we co-monetize together and get their very valuable content on our platform in a way that uh, makes sense for them to include in sort of their overall mix of, of using their valuable rights, uh, and then how do we also do stuff outside of the monetization thing that we like to say is good for Twitter? Um, how do we p- help the public healthy conversation from a sports landscape and then also entertainment and news as well across our whole portfolio of partners? How do we empower them to uh, really utilize Twitter for both a monetization tool and also just a pure, how do we make the healthy public conversation around all of the content partnership verticals that we support as good and as powerful as possible, because we know that's a big reason why people come to Twitter as sort of a news and conversation source. It's hard to know where to start this conversation because Twitter has had such a raft of announcements lately on its ongoing evolution from newsletters to all kinds of user safety features. Do you want to start by talking about where the app stands right now from a growth and usage standpoint in Canada? I think in, in, in Canada, Canada and Shay, feel free to jump in. We're probably a, a, a bit of a more mature market than some of our other our other growth markets around the world. And that's just because we've really had a good a foothold in Canada. We've had an established office presence for many, many years. And we've had a really established 
um, partnership presence for, for many years. So, so that allows us to, uh, when we get these new products, when we get things like review and, and, and sort of all those things that you were alluding to, we get to see how our partners can enable them and utilize them so quickly in market. So how can we get our partners leaned into things like spaces and conversation controls and all those new products? Because you're right, it seemed, you know, Shay and I sent out a bunch of our emails to our partners um, whenever new products come out. And there was a, there was probably a three month period last year, I think where, or maybe I might, might be getting my days mixed up, but where we felt like we were sending one of those emails almost every week because some new products had, had come out. So it's an exciting time on the Twitter front because although Canada is somewhat used to Twitter, um, and we see a lot of users in Canada, we're still able to innovate and find ways for not only consumers, but also the publishing partners that help make the platform great, um, sort of iterate and, and optimize what they offer on the platform. Can you talk about who's using Twitter from both a demographic and geographic point of view in Canada? I think the Twitter conversation really does span all sorts of all, all sorts of age groups, all, all all parts of Canada specifically. I think obviously we'll probably see the the heaviest uh, amount of users in those regions, like a uh, like an Ontario and like a BC and like a Quebec, just because the size of the audience. But we do have a a very sort of large scale in terms of who are the users on Twitter and who you can reach, especially as an advertiser. Um, the ability to target demographically and enact uh, an ability to, to speak to all of these Canadian users. We love to say that if you want to target fans of The Bachelorette that own an iPhone and speak English and French and live inside Ontario, you can do that on Twitter through some of the targeting that, details that we have, which is which is a really exciting thing. I, I was just going to add, like, there's so many niche interests that happen on Twitter and communities. So there's really a community for anybody in Canada, whether you're a sports fan and you love hockey Twitter or you're a part of Bachelor Nation and you tweet along as you watch the show every week. So there's so many different passion points and communities that we actually see a wide variety of, of Canadians uh, joining in and tweeting along every day. From a staffing standpoint, Twitter Canada also experienced growth this year because you introduced a Canadian engineering hub and a few other roles. Can you talk a little bit about that? And I think a lot of people wonder if they have an issue as a Canadian user, are they talking to somebody in California or Toronto? So I can, I can take a stab at how we've grown our office. I've been at the Twitter Canada office just over four years. And when I first joined, our office was about 40 plus people or so. And now you're right, we've established Toronto and Canada as a engineering hub as part of our global rollout. And we're at uh, over, we've had 124 new staff members join through 2021. And right now we have 192 tweets currently a part of the Toronto Canada office. So Definitely, we've grown significantly in the last year or so, and our tweets work across a wide variety of teams. Obviously, Con and I is part of partnerships, but sales, policy, engineering, and product. And then on your, on your second point in terms of who is a Twitter user speaking to when they're dealing with issues, our support team is a global team, and so Definitely, whoever you're speaking to is you're speaking to someone who's specific to your case and is able to respond specifically to the your issues uh, for your account. So last week, Twitter announced the rollout of the first iteration of Spaces Recording, which offers hosts the option to record and share a recording. How have Canadian audiences so far embraced 
that feature. I saw quite a few reporter-led discussions during the federal election on spaces, but I'm wondering if this is catching on where we've seen some other social audio features kind of go cold in terms of growth. Yeah, I think maybe I can speak to this one. Twitter spaces really represents a really unique opportunity for some of those, not only great publishers, but also the people that drive conversation. So, so often on Twitter, there are people that you kind of expect, like an example would be the Toronto Raptors. They really lead the Raptors conversation on Twitter, but there's also the beat reporters. There's also the people on uh, that represent Raptors Twitter that, you know, have an amassed an amount of followings and people follow them for their takes. And, and so t- spaces specifically represent a really unique opportunity for some of those users to really leverage the audiences that they've built. And I think one of the strengths that we've seen with spaces, for instance, is that because it's on Twitter, because it's naturally there, you already get to utilize the incredible following that you've built through the app automatically. So that that helps, I think, users to buy into it because they're not having to go and potentially build a whole new following on a whole other platform. Um, but yeah, we've seen, I think, I mean, I, I probably am a little bit closer to the sports side personally, but I, I know um, we've seen tons of tons of spaces as when we were in the NHL playoffs, we saw spaces leading into games, um, especially when the Leafs and the Habs were playing each other in the first round. We saw spaces uh, in the offseason about what players should be uh, drafted or what players should be traded, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So seeing it not only at the sort of publisher level, um, but also it's kind of the more, I guess, general fan opinion leader um, level too. So lots of really neat opportunity and recording just represents that next step where you can sort of, you don't necessarily have to be on on time because I'll say like, there's a bunch of spaces I'd love to listen to, but they happen to be during the workday and sometimes I'm in a meeting. And so I, ha- I happen to miss them. And I think that's a great product feature that we've been able to roll out to sort of really allow fans to uh, further further talk to it. I alluded earlier to this, you know, raft of features that was was kind of announced, some still in beta in September. But, you know, I find the whole evolution process very interesting because you see some features, you know, introduced that are very close to mirroring other features of other social apps. And then you see others fall away, for example, Reels. Can you talk a little bit about the conversations that go on behind the scenes in terms of trying to keep people interested at a time when the polarized climate is causing some people to choose to spend less time on social apps? One of the best things about Twitter since I've been here is just how open our product team is when it comes to launches, like the retweet function wasn't something that was thought of by Twitter. It was actually a organic behavior that happened by users on Twitter that we turned into a feature. And that's kind of the philosophy, how our product team approaches these new updates. They take a look at what are these behaviors that diehard Twitter users are leveraging? Where does that behavior go? And then they build that product based off that. And so that's that's the philosophy. And yes, you're, you're right with sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but it's always an experimental approach with the whole goal being making sure that your experience on Twitter is is the best possible one that you that you can get and that you're we're giving we're empowering 
Twitter users more control of their experience on Twitter when they when they log in every day. You talked a little bit off the top about your ongoing media partnerships in Canada, like Chorus and CBC and a number of other partners. Do you want to talk about how that approach is maturing and, and what some of those partnerships will look like as we head into 2022 with all of these new features that you've introduced? For sure. So like on my end, when it comes to our news entertainment partners, each partner is so unique and so different. And it really depends. And we approach it by a partner by partner uh, POV. But really, as we have these new products, these new features, as we discover new ways that Canadians are using Twitter, we work super closely with our partners to almost reflect that in lockstep. So similar to the course, uh, we've launched a program back in 2018 that we call Twitter Originals. As we saw more Canadians on Twitter leaned into specific branded content with high premium broadcast quality content that served just for them. And so we built a program, Twitter Originals, that's specific for that need. And so it's it's really partner specific, but we always keep an eye out based off what the products launch. And we work closely with all of our partners in figuring out what is that next project, what is that next feature, what is that next program that we want to bring to advertisers, but also to users. So newsletters, for example, are there any of those Canadian partners that are leveraging that new feature? I think Twitter review, uh, I'm just trying to to sort of remind myself if there are, it's a little bit, it just that by the nature of our our, our relationships, it's more of a um, sort of specific talent typically uh, that, that would utilize like a review newsletter. So we haven't seen the initial pickup from our, our traditional publisher handles just because not as many of them utilize email subscription in, in a massive way. And there's not there's not the same sort of an initial tool. So candidly, to, to Shay's point exactly, we really look at our publishers and we sort of figure out which of these new products really makes them, sense for them to utilize. Where's the clear path for how this can influence and, and, and fit into their, their mix? Because I think the other side of it too is we only have so much so many hours in the day and our partners only have so many hours and resources that they can put towards um, specific platforms. And while we hope to always be social media manager's favorite social media platform, at the end of the day, we also need to respect that uh, not every product that we are able to offer to a partner makes a ton of sense. So review is an interesting one. I think we'll see a little bit more pickup as that gets a little bit more widespread usage in Canada, because I, I think it, I believe it's still in it a bit more of a, a beta phase within who can sort of access it. And so as that sort of develops a little bit further, I, I think we'll see a larger pickup in Canada. I was just going to add, I mean, we have seen journalists specifically lean in with Ryu. Um, I have subscribed to David Atkin, the political correspondent at Global News. He's tapped into review and he shares out a weekly newsletter about the top political news from the week. And so we've started to see some pickup, but very, like Connor said, very specific to journalists or individuals who either have an existing newsletter or that content program, and then they're just extending it to their Twitter audience. Right. Which features are proving to be gaining ground? I'd say Spaces is a big one. And, and I'd love to, I'll, I'll, I'll plug Shay for a bit here because she organized an amazing space with Coke um, and eTalk, I believe, um, because it's it's it really leverages 
a, a few things. It's a, it's a new space that these uh, publishers can talk about. There's an ability to be super timely. When you think about the opportunity that spaces represents, you can host a space right after an event, right after a sports event, et cetera, or right before, or sometimes even during. So there's a huge opportunity there. And it's incredibly low lift from a production aspect because you just simply need a phone and, a, and an internet connection. Um, but Shay, why don't you talk a little bit about um, the eTalk example? Yeah, that, that's a good one because that was, so we've seen so much pickup in terms of spaces from an organic POV from our users um, joining in, publishers hosting their own spaces, and that has translated into advertiser interest. And so that space, when talking about TIFF and eTalk, was our first ever sponsored space where we had Coke as an advertiser sign on to sponsor eTalk's coverage of TIFF. And so that just shows that the usage is there and that's translating to advertiser interest. And spaces in general, I think the reason we see so much why they're gaining ground is it taps into the superpower of Twitter, which is like Twitter blows up during live events, right? Whether it's sports, whether award shows, or you're watching TV. And so the live aspect of spaces and that audio POV ladders up to that, which is kind of why we're seeing uh, spaces really blow out and why you why we're seeing so many product updates to spaces, including the recording feature that was just launched. Can you talk about the climate for chasing ad revenue in the social app space generally? Because it seems like every other week somebody's introducing some new feature or a new app is launched. What is the climate like in Canada for revenue in this space? Yeah, I think, I think Shay and I get a a, a good picture of it for sure. We're obviously not on the front lines as, as we've got a really robust sales team that, that's that's really quite good at speaking to it. But I think what we look at with Twitter and where we see demand uh, a lot of times is based on our, um, our superpowers, which when Shay and I talk about it, it sort of comes to two things. Twitter is really good at launching and connecting. So what we mean by that is we're very good at launching new products, launching new services. When you want to make that big splash on the first couple of days, you come to Twitter to do it because that's essentially where that live conversation is happening. And then as well to connect with things. So if you think about those big major events that happen, the Junos, the Emmys, the Grammys, the Stanley Cup uh, final, NBA final, Super Bowl, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all those events. If you want to connect with users as they're talking about those events live, it's all about Twitter because the reality is, is during those events, we see substantially more traction from users on our platform, whereas what we, when we, the research we've done in Canada, we don't see that for the other platform. So fans during live events come to Twitter. They don't necessarily do it for the other platform. So we sort of really lean into those two superpowers. And as long as brands continue to you know, want to launch new products and services and, and want to connect with sort of those large scale events, those, those moments that matter, we continue to see uh, demand for, for the products that we're able to offer. And we've got great publishing partners that do make it easy for us to sell association with some of the best content in the world. We all know there are no shortage of complainers on the app because it is conversational. But because a lot of our audience is in media and broadcasting, the two biggest things that I see followers complain about are the arbitrary nature of some posts getting people suspended. And, you know, for where reporters are concerned, for example, comments critical of the Chinese government was one that came up last month. And then the second thing is inability to get verified, even if they belong to an accredited organization. Are you able to enlighten us on either of those issues? I can take on the first one in terms of when it comes to safety, 
on the platform. It's one of our top priorities. Jack talks about it all the time. Internally, we talk about it all the time. And we want to make sure everyone who uses Twitter, they are safe and they're free from abuse. We are obviously aware that abuse and harassment disproportionately affect journalists sometimes and women underrepresented communities. But our policy is that we do what we can to ensure that doesn't happen. And we have a variety of policies and baked into our product to prevent that. And whether that's like our hateful conduct policy or our abuse and harassment policy. And then we always take action when we identify any tweets or account accounts that violate the Twitter rules. So we're, it's definitely a key Twitter priority when we when it comes to ensuring ensuring that the timeline is super safe and that everybody feels comfortable tweeting, which is why you've probably seen, along with all of these updates to spaces, we've rolled out a wide variety of product updates when it comes to safety from mute, block, allowing conversation prompts, making people double check before they tweet something if they feel it might be a little bit negative in nature. So it's definitely on a product roadmap and that we invest um, pretty significantly when it comes to that space. Right. I think the issue seems to be that when, you know, when journalists are tweeting about an issue that might be a bit of a hot potato, they feel that sometimes they are getting unduly reprimanded for, you know, uh, the conversation around an issue that is not necessarily factually in dispute, but maybe the context around it is. There's a lot of nuances to the process. Yes. And I think I think I feel that, uh, you know, I don't want to speak on behalf of all Canadian media, but I feel there are a lot of reporters out there that feel that the nuance in all of this is is what's missing. For sure. And and I think that's, we, we take that into account when it comes to reporting any of these issues when it when it when it gets flagged i mean there's only so much that the algorithm can flag and understand and so there's so much nuance so much context like not just in canada but in our global markets there's language context our, our support team takes that into account when they review reported tweets or or flagged tweets that that need to be uh, or if it got uh, if journalists are dealing with reviewed tweets our support team takes that into account. Do you want to tackle the get verified issues, Connor? Sure, yeah. So verification was closed for, for quite some time, I believe a couple of years, just as we sort of reestablished what our verification policy is. And probably one of the neatest pieces of when we reestablished our policy um, is that we allowed people to take part in that process. So people were able to give their two cents. We were, in my opinion, very, very transparent about what it would take to be verified because um, we realized that that was something that people sort of had questions about, were concerned about, et cetera, et cetera. And so our verification policy reopened, as you might expect, if something's sort of closed for a couple of years, the floodgates definitely um, were, were breached, for lack of a better expression. And we received a whole lot of verification requests, which is which is fantastic. People want to have that credibility that I am who I say I am on the platform and they want people to know that they are that 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 person that they think they are. And so as a result, the as the verification process is now open, I believe pretty much everyone should now have access. There was sort of a, a scaled rollout, just as almost all product features happen on Twitter and changes. There's usually a scaled rollout, but I believe at this point, everyone should have the ability to go into their settings and then find the ability to, to request verification there. There are obviously going, there, there's a few pieces when, when users 
request verification. And, and probably the biggest call out is just making sure that the links that you are included, that you include sort of really satisfy the policy that's written on our website. I think where Shay and I see, and when we have conversations with people about why they didn't get verified, probably the most common issue is the links that they included did not support the policy as it's written. So just making sure that those things really align and that they allow our verification team to really understand who you are and and figure that out. You know, it, it's like anything, it, it's, it's real humans that are reviewing the verification request. So I don't, I don't want to say that it's perfect, but I think that there's always an opportunity um, to reapply and, and do those things to make sure that you can get verified. But I think it's, it's sort of two steps. Make sure that the application process, that the links and, and the package that as a user you submit ladder up to the policy that we have written and then just make sure that you are are verifiable based on our based on our policy because it's I think it's quite clear in a lot of situations. Hopefully that helps the people that should be getting verified get verified because I know it's a having it having been closed for so long, uh, I know that there's a lot of people anxious out there to to get that coveted blue check. I've seen a few city news and CBC reporters who've been turned down and I'm I'm wondering how much of the process has to do with how many followers you have. Are there any other sort of guidelines that might not be there in the policy that would cause somebody to not get their blue check mark? Yeah, it's a great question. So followers actually, I don't believe make up any real part of the policy. Um, I'm not an expert on it. And, and I would obviously suggest anyone that's interested do check the policy, but just going off my memory of what the policy is. So if you are an accredited journalist at, from a accredited institution, so CBC, City TV, or City News, sorry, um, the examples that you gave, those definitely would be considered accredited organizations. And so making sure that those application packages really demonstrate and, and sort of adhere to the how the policy is written. Are you showcasing who you are in the right way based on the policy? Um, there is a way that if there's a few different categories that you can apply to. So how we how we look at a, a journalist for verification is very different than how we look at an athlete uh, for verification, which is different than how we look at an esports athlete for verification, because candidly, those are different things and, and they're not apples to apples. So it's segmented on our in our policy as to how we would apply verification decisions to someone like a journalist or an athlete and whatnot. There is also another category, which is just sort of that influential individual, someone who's a bigger part of the conversation. There are some t- statistics there that that do make a difference, but under those other categories like journalists and, and athletes, it's not about sort of how much of the conversation you control. It's more about the role that you play for the organization that you're in and, and whether that, that fits within our verification policy. Okay, great. Is there anything else either of you would like to touch on? We've had a great conversation today about about safety and and the health of the public conversation. And I think Twitter's always looking to iterate um, and we're always looking to change and update our policy based on how things change. And that's probably one of the things I'm most proud of as an employee of of the company is just how open and transparent and quickly we're able to iterate our our policy changes. Um, And so we'll continue to do that and and hopefully work towards this goal of making Twitter the home of the healthy public conversation, because I think that's the that's what we can offer to the world. Uh, and we'll look to continue to do that. And, and Shay and I will hopefully play a small role uh, in doing that in Canada. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having us, Connie. Thanks, Connie. Thanks 
for listening to Broadcast Dialogue. For more information about the podcast or to receive exclusive access to our weekly briefing about the Canadian media industry, visit us at broadcastdialogue.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, connect with us on LinkedIn and follow us on Twitter and SoundCloud. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all had. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com.